Welcome back to the Man Cave Caucus. This is Ben Baker, your host, and with me is Mr. Tim Holden. It's looking like you're in the Christmas spirit, Ben. You know I am, Tim. I uh, I even wore my Christmas sweater today. I see that. Yeah, you know. Um, and for that, I've got a little a song for you to play. Since we're getting into the Christmas spirit. I do love Christmas songs. What do we have? Three three weeks? I think there's still three and a half. I'm praying. I think today's the first. Three weekends, right? Oh, yeah. This is the first weekend. This is December 2nd. It's my uh, anniversary. Happy anniversary. Hey, ben. thanks. How many years? 23. Mm. I had the um, distinct privilege of getting married in the year 2000. Mm. So it's easy to remember my anniversary. So if it's yeah, 2023, December 1st, 23 two, years. 12 one twenty or 12 one 2000. Yeah. Mm. So uh, a little Christmas spirit to uh, just tell me what you think. Holy night. Stars are brightly It has moved. Long lay the world oh. in sin and error till he appeared mm. and the soul felt its work. A thrill of hope The weary world rejoices I love Christmas I'm loving it less and less Did you Did you ever record Cassette tapes? <laughs> He's bringing the heat Well, we couldn't afford to pay Mariah's Carey's licensing fee, so just take it for what it is. Ugh. Hmm. So, uh... Hmm. I think we'll just, uh, fade that one out for now. I, I think, I think it might be best. That is... But yeah, that's uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs, and uh, I wanted to let you hear that that version of it. That is painful. It really is. But uh, I'm looking forward to Christmas 2023, and uh, it won't be long. Mm. You ready? You got uh, all your gifts bought, and yeah, I think all the good stuff. I uh, I personally have not bought anything, but my sweet wife. I think she went full on Cyber Monday happy and got it taken care of. My wife cashes in this time of the year because anniversary, December 2nd, mm. Christmas, December 25th. It's just like uh it's rolling in, you know. I had a I had a buddy who was born on Christmas Day and uh he was not a big fan of Yeah. Uh, it's are you familiar with the song Don't Save It All for Christmas Day? Mm. It's a classic. I am. Well, turns out that's what happened. And uh, he he just felt like he his birthday kind of got overshadowed by, you know, the birthday. So he, uh, he was a little bitter about it, actually. Yeah, I could imagine. Sometimes too many. Like if if you're in a family of thirteen and everybody's birthdays are in July, yeah, you're. <laughs> Why is it that everyone's birthdays in July? I don't know. Uh, we have uh, five people in our immediate family that are in July. I think I have and, at least two or three in my family, and then three I'm in, in February. May. But yeah, I guess if you back that up nine months, it's it's like the time of the year where. You yeah. know, there's not a whole lot much else to do or that's I think that's the deal with July is I mean, 
there is a cure for winter depression, apparently. Apparently. <laughs> Either so, that or you live by the railroad tracks. One or the two. <laughs> so anyway, our first item up on the agenda, on the whiteboard, Tim. Yes. Did you get to see the debate between Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida Governor, and California Governor Gavin Newsom? This was, I believe, Wednesday. This was on Hannity, too, by the way. I think yeah, Hannity I, was the one that uh, moderated debate. So I caught quite a bit of that. I, I was eating Tums like a three-year-old with a box of Tic Tacs. Just trying to keep keep my lunch in. It was hard to watch. Like, really was. I don't. I'm not sure exactly what. Like, I can't put my finger really on why. I don't know who won even. And and I mean, I I do know that I was the loser. And I feel like DeSantis. I mean, I feel like even engaging might have made DeSantis the loser. I mean, I feel like he he was getting hammering down on Newsom. It's no question. I'm just saying, like, yeah, I think the the debate. If you were to take the facts versus the non-facts, DeSantis, I know, would, you know, just wipe the floor with no, it. And that's, but yeah, again, it was just it's so awkward. And maybe it's because Newsom is just he's so greasy. I can't bear to watch him. Have you seen how fast his eyes blink when he's talking? Like constantly. I mean, there's two people who turn my stomach to the to that level, and. uh the other one is that uh, TV preacher. Um, you know who I'm talking about? Benny Hinn. No, that he he would be like Up three there. or four, but the one who has the uh, evil eye. Oh, I think it's Kenneth Hagen. Yeah. Yes. Dude, that guy gives me the wheelies. Yep. And uh, but I was like Newsom. I, Newsom had lost that debate before I ever just by his public record. Uh, before I ever tuned in, and so I'm just saying, though, watching it, I felt like I was the only loser because so, Newsom just was able to, you know. My question is, what did it accomplish? You know, this debate, what did it accomplish? Like, we know that they're, you know, I mean, Newsom's not even a declared candidate, mm-hmm. although we kind of know that it's very possible and very likely that they could remove Biden at any time and put in a new guy. Yeah, but he did try he to would, remove all doubt there at the end. I he did, but, but I think that was kind of like the old... Uh, Deflection. Right. Yeah. But, you know, and maybe this is a well, precursor to 2028. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's, it, that was kind of where... Be, that's kind of where I was thinking sitting in there, and the only reason I'm sure he's not running this year is because Newsom is not... He is a man of his word, and if he says he's not running, due to his past record, I'm pretty sure he's just not going to run, Ben. You know. And you're not, you're totally not being facetious. Of course not. Right. So <laughs> We're talking well, about that was Newsom. The, that was the thing that, That's like, sad. literally, he, he made so many false statements that were just simply not true in that debate. Oh, I know, but he is a silver-tongued man. And, and then said that, it with a smile and with confidence, like, you know, just because he had the charisma to say, that, say it in the way that he did, that it had to be true. Let me finish, because he is a silver-tongued man, but it's forked. That dadgum tongue is forked. It is. And his smile, it's like... Oh, it's... It's like, you I know, mean, Tic Tacs or I something. I wanted to buy a car from him, and I didn't know why. <laughs> right. I'm serious. I was like, this man is... He's got a some kind of a... Some of my favorite on. moments, though, was the poop map. Did you did you see that Dude. part? When, when DeSantis pulls and out the poop map and is like, my, well, I brought this with me. My son, my son and daughter came to me after our, I think it was our second or third episode, and they said, Dad, you really got hung up on the poop. <laughs> I guess in that episode I had, about we were, about homelessness, I had talked multiple yes. times about it. My, my kids said, Dad, you really were hammering home on that poop. And so funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I but didn't I, see the map. I, I mean, if if <laughs> if you want to talk about, like, the, the literal, uh, you know, label to what is... The, the problem in San Francisco, that's it. 
right? I, I mean, see nobody this. wants to walk down the street and step in the poop. I almost did today in a parade, by the way. But it was horses. We had a Christmas parade, and, and our campaign is, is always participating. It wasn't horses. We just so happened to, and this is a total side note, but kind of connected. <laughs> Tell me and it was it's amazing horses. that it's connected because of poop. But our spot in the parade, in the Osho Christmas parade, that we always participate in was right behind this time who was directly in front of us was the humane society. And they had probably 15 little yappy dogs on leashes, just barking and going nuts in front of us. So it was not a silent night. And we had to step over the poop or in it landmines immediately afterwards. I mean, it was still steaming as we had to make our way through the parade. But anyway, I, Nobody wants that. This would have been a great that year. That was my point. Great year Nobody for Nobody wants to step in the poop. Shoe shining service set up. Young entrepreneurs next year. <laughs> yes. On the side of the street. They should have the shoe shining uh, float. Oh, man. Following it up. It's funny because they make all the horses do you know go at the end for that reason. Yeah. And it's like, but what about... They I mean, I would rather step in horse poop. Yeah, it's, than dog poop. It is, it is quite firm and it's just, comes off the shoe. It's just something about it. Dog poo has a stank of its own. <laughs> right. So here we are hung up on the poop. <laughs> I I was trying to, you know, think of humorous stories the other day of, you know, throughout the my man life. cave just caucus is literally went to poop. <laughs> it's went to poop. But uh, I realized that most of the humor involves that and I, I really don't know why I'm hung up so well I think again you know it's just a, a stark reminder of the you know highlighting the failures of what's happening in some of those places such as San Francisco and California yeah and the drug and homelessness issue there and the fact that they put this poop map out like it's unbelievable what an epic exists. failure of so government, is, is that to where have people that are like that. on Google Maps walking will ping a poo? Yeah, you could have an app called Ping a Poo. <laughs> okay, so we're done. It's so hard to leave it though; it writes itself. Uh, the other zinger I thought that DeSantis had was when he starts talking about he met this guy that moved from California. Uh, to Florida, and and, and it was his, and it, and then he's like, "Oh, by the way, it's your father-in-law." That that was my, and that was Newsom's face when he said that was like, "Oh no!" And I'm going to sound dumb here, but isn't Newsom gay? Well, I've heard that. Oh, okay. So he's not open. Like he, I I assume that father-in-law might have had a. Uh, I don't know. It might have been a. a I uh, don't. I don't think that's. The case, Father, at least the public for the public record. Okay, see, I thought he was openly gay, so I but I knew I, I was. I don't know. Whatever. This is why I don't spit. Whatever facts. floats your goat. I, whatever. <laughs> it's none of my business. I don't guess, but but okay. so yeah, I, yeah, that you know, was hilarious though. And it's you know it's true. Like the it's indefensible. The policies in California, the policies especially in cities like San Francisco, are literally indefensible. You don't have a defense to say, yeah, but this is really working. Like, it's yeah. not working. And even a lot of the things that Gavin said when in, during the debate were literally just simply not factual, not yeah. true at all. When they started talking about uh, education and DeSantis was trying to make a contrast, well, you know, during COVID, you shut down your schools. We had our schools open and our kids are doing better. And, and Newsom tries to make this argument that their students are doing better academically. And it's simply not true. Yeah. If you look it up, it's not true at all. Florida's well, students are doing much better than California students when it comes to academics. Yeah. When I'll say this: when you have a such a prolific liar, he's good at it. That is that good, and could sell ice to Eskimos in the form of lies. You it, had Hannity not been there, he was mowing over. DeSantis so fast with lies. And I'm not saying, like, he did not win the debate. He did not, I mean, he looked terrible. But I was, you know, that's what I came to see was how bad he looked. And I was like, dude, this guy is so slick. 
I think he could slide out of a bear trap. You know who he reminds me of? What's that uh, big name preacher in Texas? Oh, Joel. Joel Osteen. Pastor Joel. There's a striking resemblance there. Did you ever see that? In delivery. Dude. Don't you think? The smile. It is. The smile is disarming, and then it's like he disarmed you in order to bend you over a lie barrel <laughs> and shove a few more lives in your ear hole. Lies. It's bad. It's unbelievable. And I, I just, I'd never watched that much of him because I try to avoid the Newsmeister, and I just, mm, I was thoroughly just off-put, like unsettled, watching that debate. I agree. It, it was uncomfortable. Um, but I think it was the perfect example of, you know, the contrast between Democrat policies and their approach to issues mm-hmm. versus Republican policies and their approach. And, you know, it's, it's literally the, the facts versus emotion, and the disconnect of reality. And the disconnect of reality, for That's, sure. But yeah. And, you know, again, he was getting, like, live-tweeted, fact-checked on this stuff. Newsom was about it simply not being true, yeah. about California being better in education and, and other things. So, and several times, you know, Newsom, like, avoids answering the questions with any real substance to an answer. And in, instead of taking a direct position in answering the question— he would respond with, well, you know, Republicans are, are wanting to do this or wanting to do that. They're wanting to jail teachers. They're wanting to jail librarians, which is not true. Or, you know, Republicans are divisive, and that's the reason why. And, and not answering the question, this rhetoric that um, in, in most of the cases when you hear that, it's simply the opposite is what is true. Right. He was tossing a word salad. And I began to think about it. I see this play out all the time in debates on the floor of the House in the Missouri legislature. It's that same approach. It's like you can go through the facts, you can you can cite uh, research and all of this, and they'll just say they'll they'll come up with some emotional response to that, or even just totally dismiss it and say, "Well, that resource that you cited is is known to produce uh, facts that." support Republican policies or Republican right. statistics or whatever and just try to dismiss like, it. Yeah, but you what know, wholesale what about in, the in a wholesale way. Yeah. No, he he kept doing that. Um one part of the ba- debate he just kept on saying, How dare you slander the uh one of the greatest cities in the in the uh US and uh what do you know what the population is in San Cali- Francisco? No, in California. I in do general, not. Like, versus the U.S. Because they, he was really to- toting the fact that they were the fifth largest economy in the, you know, in the world. And he is going to personally unseat that fact in his, during his tenure, you know, if at the, the rate. 39,538,000. So that's a little over 10% of the U.S. population, correct? If you want to do the math, I mean, we yeah, have. I think we have three sixty ish somewhere around in there. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's so it's a it's a large 12, about 12, 11, 12 percentage. But again, just saying that well, it's a great state and it's a great city or whatever doesn't answer the question. No, it, I know, it, and he just he said that three it, times. It doesn't give a response to yeah. the failed policies that have produced some of the things that you're seeing in those uh, in that state or in those cities. I've, but again, I think it's. It's that whole idea that it's this emotion versus facts. Yeah. You know, and it's frustrating because you can't really have a debate. Many times I see this play out in, in the Missouri legislature where you're trying to have a debate based on facts, based on objective truth, based on, you know, something that, that you can start with a basis of that that people believe to be true. And if there's no starting point to that when you're trying to have a debate, you can't have a real debate. You can't even have a conversation with your children with that basis. And they just want to go back to Republicans are divisive. And, yeah, you know, they're doing this without really looking at the, the substance of the policies or the substance of the matter at hand. So the question is, I mean, will this debate move the needle for 2024? 
in the presidential race for DeSantis. You I, know, at this point, he's the only one that's actually running for president. Yeah, out of was, those two, it was really weird. And I think I feel like DeSantis really is coming from a point or from a place of I. It's a long shot, and he knows it. And I think what you said about the 2028 makes way more sense than to think either of them, you know. And I, like I said, Newsom, Newsom saying that he wasn't running, it really has me thinking that uh, with his track record, he probably, there's a great chance of that still. But I I just, I don't know, I don't see, I, I think DeSantis is great at governor. I don't think it's his time yet. And I don't know, but I don't know whose it is either, so. It's a well. I mean, when you have a candidate in in President Trump that is what fifty or sixty points ahead in most of the polls, yeah, it's really hard to get excited about. You know, it's just the reality of that is is uh, is striking. But I don't know. We'll we'll see how that plays out. But I I still believe that there's a good chance that Newsom ends up being a candidate, oh, maybe yeah. even next year in 2024, but we'll see. We shall see. Speaking of San Francisco, Tim, I have a great story for you, and I want to get your raw take on this. I don't think you've been made aware of this story. I am not. It's on the board. I didn't get to it. It's a perfect example of, you know, because we're always talking about the out-of-control spending by government, right? The national debt is... I mean, it's unbelievable what we're adding, what government is adding to the national debt. I mean, just over the past few years, what, $10 trillion or more just in the past few years. And so this is a perfect example of that type of -of out-of-control spending by government. So there is a project in San Francisco. Have you ever been across the Golden Gate Bridge? I have not. Okay, I have once. I was, I was uh, young. But I was more interested in Alcatraz. Yeah, I wanted to see that too, but uh, when I was there last, it wasn't open to be able to uh, take the tour. So the Golden Gate Bridge is quite a you know um, architectural feat. Uh, yeah. You know, it's I think it's one point seven miles long. They are building though a suicide safety net for the Golden Gate Bridge because as you I think, well, no, there's lots of people who take the plunge and jump off the bridge to commit suicide. So it's nearing completion, this project. It spans the entire length of this bridge, 1.7 miles on both sides. It is 20 feet wide, steel mesh. Steel mesh. Steel mesh net. I hope it's only about four feet off of the bridge. On both sides of the bridge. Okay. I don't think I'd want to go through a cheese grater. (laughs) Right. If it's at eight feet even, you might break an ankle. Yeah, yeah, you'd you'd want it to be pretty close to where you'd take the jump. I'm not gonna look, but am I are you wanting me to guess the price of this? So let's yeah, let's let's talk about that. So it was approved by the bridge officials. So it's not just in price but in the length of this project, too. In 2008 is when the construction project was approved. So you've got roughly 10,000 times two. So about 16,000 linear feet of net. Okay. That's pretty good math. I'm going to guess that at $1 million per foot because I know where they did it. So... What is 16,000 times 1 million? That I cannot do the math on. Okay. So 2008 is when construction began. Ten years later, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wrong in that. They approved it in 2008. It began 10 years later. The construction actually took 10 years to start to begin the construction after of the approval net. And after funding. approval. Ten, 10 years later. In 2018. So when they took this project to the people, to the voters, whatever they had to do to get this funding, the anticipated cost was $142 million. Okay. Which sounds 
almost that reasonable. Was, that was the estimated cost, $142 million. So when adjusted for inflation, we're talking about $300 million. So close. <laughs> After five years of construction, and of course there were delays, you know, bureaucratic incompetence, I'm sure was a big part of that. Now the net will cost, what do you think? I think I just caught a peek out of it at the side of my eye, and I want to break that down like I did per foot. So instead of $142 million that was initially rolled out, $400 million is what this project is going to cost in the end. $400 million. Here's for perspective, okay? In 1933, they built the bridge. The entire Golden Gate Bridge cost $35 million to complete, which adjusted for inflation is about $550 million. Okay. What they built the bridge for, the entire Golden Gate Bridge, Tim. Mm. 83,000 pounds of, of steel. Crossed over by 110,000 cars per day on average. This net is only going to cost a mere 27% less than what the entire bridge cost to um, construct in the beginning. I'm guessing it was built by San Francisco's. <laughs> I'm sure it was it a union job. Difference. It was a union. Can you job, imagine? There's no question. I wonder what prevailing wage is. I would say in San Francisco. For look, look that up. For a net specialist. <laughs> a net well, specialist. I'm I'm just telling you that if the and I hate to digress again into the into the the depths of the poo, but if the poo guys are making 115k a year, and that was before COVID, imagine what a Bridge, a proud union bridge net builder could pull in. I can't find a real quick estimate here on prevailing wage for what it is in the state of California or what I would, I would think that the city of San Francisco would be higher probably than even yeah. what the state number is for prevailing wage. So here's the, the end result. 15 years from vote to completion and triple the budget estimate is what it's going to cost for this suicide safety net. I think they I think they should have just done like some peers and put up a replaceable circus net because I can buy those on Amazon. You can buy a huge net on Amazon for about 300 bucks. So let me ask you this. What are the chances of someone jumping off the bridge onto the mesh and then being like, oh, I'm just going to walk out to the edge. And then they walk on out to the edge. I mean. And take the plunge. I hate to even think about it. I mean, if there's no jolt to reality, if it's if it's literally just I'm, a couple of feet below where you would I'm jump. I'm assuming it has to be a couple of feet below because it is still, had they done circus nets, they could have put it down 10 feet. And then you'd be trying to claw out of that thing like you were stuck in a sock. Well, then here's the question, Tim. If someone jumps onto the mesh, what is the cost to emergency services from the city of San Francisco to go get that person off of the mesh? Probably less than the Coast Guard to get them out of the water. But, so I mean, it may take, I'd say in... Two trillion years, as the uh, evolutionists like to throw around, they should have this thing paid off, just in the savings from not having to retrieve the bodies, assuming that the people don't want to walk over to the edge of the net and I go mean, ahead and take the plunge. They definitely extended those people's lives by three seconds, though, and that's there is value in that. I would definitely like to see the efficacy report for this project mm. a few years after it's completed. Me too. See like, how many lives it saved. See how many. Well, and it really, the only value that I see here is that it, in fact, 
might save the Coast Guard a little bit of money. And like I said, it's going to take a long time to save $400 million. But I think if you're wanting to commit suicide, shutting down the most popular place probably is not going to stop anyone in reality. Yeah, I, w- I would think that uh, But once the news gets out, yeah, it just got more difficult. I think an electric fence would have cost them about 50k and you'd have a similar result. Probably maybe you could just electrify the entire bridge. You wouldn't want to go too hot or it would still be effective, but mm-hmm. you know, 120 just enough to discourage somebody be like, mm, "Don't want to go out in pain." And here we are coming up with solutions. But anyway, I thought that was a good example of uh, the out-of-control spending and the just ridiculous nature of government projects when it comes to spending. And I hate to say it, but think about the efficacy of an electric, like a chain-link fence with an electric fence base. Nobody's climbing an electric chain-link fence. That would actually keep people from even having to pick them off the nets and... Anyways, it's too. We're I'm uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, you know. So I did cheat. Well, I'm there. sure they were. Pro- they would probably say that it it wouldn't look very nice, Tim, if you were to. Well, do that. it would definitely be inhumane. Yeah. Moving on, we should <laughs> to the next topic. That's... Did you see the um, the story this week of the? The pint-sized Chiefs fan, I think he was six or seven years old, who attended the Chiefs game in another city. It wasn't it wasn't a home game. I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly what other stadium it was. It wasn't Washington, was it? I don't know who they played last week. I don't think it was Washington, but <laughs> probably not. That would be it could be confusing for too some good to be true. Diehard Washington fans. So he, this boy wore a, a, an Indian headdress, which, as we found out later, was an actual headdress. And he had painted his face. One side of it was black and one side of it was red for Chiefs colors. And I'm sure there were many pictures that were taken. And at, at one point, you can even see there are videos that began to surface after this story broke. But... Um, with the players even getting in with this boy, and he was doing the chop, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the, some of the players. A lot of irate players and irate Some fans who happened him. to even be African-American were also um, celebrating with the boy during the game and having fun with it. Well, somebody took that picture where it was only the side that was black. And, and Deadspin, which I'd never heard of before, but it's supposedly a sports writing uh, media company put out an article about how racist it was for this boy to dress up with war paint and a headdress and show up to the game. And so this quickly made viral news as they tried to smear this boy and say that the NFL should be doing something about this and that, you know, uh, they're, also participating in this. Turns out the writer of this article, you can't make this up, Tim, his name, Karen. Last name? No, his first name. Spelled with a C. I'd be trying to make everyone. C-A-O-O, C-A-R-R-O-N, I believe. Karen. Could have been Karan. Could have been, but I'm going to go with Karen. He's definitely a Karen. So in this article, Karen Phillips was his name. He accused this this young Chiefs fan of, I quote, hating black people and Native American people at the same time by wearing black paint on his face while also donning a feathered headdress. And according to him, it only got worse from there. So people began to, began to point out very quickly that, well, you're not showing the whole story here you're you know you're only showing this picture of half of his face and of course the other half had the red on it and in, instead of 
correcting his article, he he just doubles down as like, well, that's worse actually. You know, if we showed the picture with red and black, and he just doubles down on this. I have a feeling that the boy is just getting slaughtered on social media, and this guy's getting a lot of love. No, not really. Oh, is that not? No. No, not really. But it's crazy to me. Unbelievable. That, you know, it's like this the same old playbook um, by the left to to further this narrative that, that everything and everyone is racist, except them, of course. I mean, you think back. Here's a couple examples. 2019, you had um, the media completely destroy a young boy's life in Nick Sandman, who was at this protest from the, uh, he was with the the Covington Catholic students that were there that day, and they're watching this protest take place, and this Native American man comes up beating a drum in front of him. You know, he's got the MAGA hat on, of course, and so that's really what sparked, I'm sure, the, the media to go after him. He ends up winning Nick Sandman ends up winning a Wasn't defamation like case. Forty million or something. No, it was way more than that. Oh, I wouldn't say that against his life. several media companies, by the way, who all jumped on the bandwagon. You know, trying to shame and and falsely accuse this sixteen year old boy of being a racist for what? Nothing but smirking at this crazy guy playing a drum. You know, doing what he whatever he was doing at that at this protest. And all he did was had this smile on his face that some people didn't like. And the MAGA hat. The hat was the only problem. It really was. But now, Nick Sandman's a multimillionaire because he won that defamation suit $250 million, Tim. Jimmy Christmas. Yeah. So you'd think these people would learn their lesson, but they don't. It's like... They are willing to go down I don't think with the ship. I don't think Deadspin can afford. No, they can't, for sure. Too fitty. So that was that was 2019. 2020, we had Kyle Rittenhouse and the media portraying him as a bigot because he had Trump paraphernalia on and for defending himself against these lunatics at this protest in Kenosha where they're burning down the cities. And they're trying to literally tried to kill him, and he defended himself. Are you referencing the innocent skateboarder? Some might see it as that. I think he was proven guilty. I never have. I guess I got to back off there. So he's put in jail, though. Rittenhouse was put in jail. He was in jail for a while. The media destroys his reputation. They make him out to be a racist as well. Then this trial plays out, and he's exonerated. Now he's going to be a rich man. Uh, because of the incompetency of the media in creating these narratives and destroying people's lives. And now, 2023, you have a similar situation with the media portraying this child that attended a football game with a headdress and face paint on who they're portraying now as a bigot. It's almost like there's a trend here. Yeah, I mean, and once we adjust for for inflation... I believe, I mean, Deadspin may be on the hook for at least 480. Deadspin may very well be dead, out of business. Dead and spun. <laughs> but put another nail in the coffin of like the legacy media. I, I think they're yeah, done. It's unbelievable. And and I hope I hope that this boy's family sues the socks off of Deadspin and this Karen who wrote say, the article. I bet lawyers are putting billboards up across the street in the ditch from his house. Probably so. We'll handle your case. (laughs) Turns out, though, people began to dig up this Karen's tweets, and he had some very racist statements that he had made on Twitter regarding white people because he's African-American. Little pot calling the kettle black. Mm -hmm. So since then, though, here's what happened. The... Uh, as we get more details of this boy's family, turns out they're actually part Native American. And his grandfather is on the board at one of the tribes. Mm, it's looking bad for Deadspin. 
So, of course, though, they made a statement that, you know, we don't really sanction any um, wearing of headdresses and any cultural appropriation items or whatever at football games. But it's just it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's it's like pretty soon you won't be able to leave your house because somebody's going to perceive that some way, shape, or form as being racist. And, you know, if, if they continue in this, this progressive interpretation in this direction, um, what's the end of that? I, I, I mean, it, it's nothing good for society. I mean, racism is wrong. It's something that has been around since the dawn of time. And we have to deal with it. We have to teach our, our kids about the seriousness of it. But their interpretation of this is getting so ridiculous. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, the agenda is what's ridiculous because you you just can't look at that and not see that uh, anyone in their right mind, you know, seeing a fan... I mean, I can't imagine that that guy's not a fan of a team. And, uh, you know, it's just disingenuous. Just to just even write the story... He had to have felt a little gross and been, you know, pandering for some outrage. So I, I think look, he got it from the wrong. He got it. He got it unexpectedly. I think. So they throw around these terms, you know, when you talk about, I mean, this article and others, and you hear people talk about it when they talk about cultural appropriation. I've even been uh, the victim of some of this. Um, by, you know, I used to make these funny videos on YouTube doing some dumb accent that really wasn't any particular accent. Yeah. It was just, and people thought it was funny. And then when I ran for office, people bring that up and they're like, oh, this guy's a racist because he's making an accent, you know, and, and doing this video with Christmas songs yeah. or whatever it was. Which, So here's the question I thought about. Like, who decides what the definition is of cultural appropriation? What, what is the definition, and how do you know? Because according to some of them, just about anything could be perceived as being appropriating. So I looked up this question, and this is what I found. So this article from Healthline.com, the title is How to Recognize Cultural Appropriation and What to Do Next. It says this, Cultural appropriation can be a little tricky to understand, <laughs> which it's I completely moving, agree with. It's a moving goalpost. <laughs> and it says, even if you're familiar with the term and know it's something to avoid, you might have some lingering uncertainties as to where the line between appropriation and appreciation lies. For example, you might recognize that cultural Halloween costumes and blackface are racist and never acceptable. But what about fashion influences, multicultural food, and art? Do those count as appropriation? Ask different people and you'll most likely get a range of answers. Imagine that. And I continue to quote this article, wondering exactly what counts as cultural appropriation, looking for guidance on recognizing when appreciation of another culture crosses the line, read on to get more insight with tips on how to avoid making potentially hurtful mistakes. And so they go into this saying, cultural appropriation defined. Culture refers to the traditions, customs, beliefs, and practices of any given ethnic, racial, or religious group. Key elements of culture include language, Art, music, literature, clothing, social norms, customs and values, history and government, religion and holidays. So here's what they come up with. To appropriate in basic terms means to take without permission. Cultural appropriation then happens when another culture borrows any of these cultural elements, typically without asking permission or crediting the source culture. Appropriation also tends to involve some misuse of cultural elements. In other words, people who appropriate generally pick and choose only the elements they consider appealing and ignore the rest. 
along with any important cultural context behind those elements. And they give some examples here, like they talk about henna art, you know, like in uh, India and some other Asian uh, countries that they draw on your skin and that the history behind that and, and people do it just for decoration and almost like tattoos or whatever. And they literally say in this article that it could definitely be appropriating to do henna art on your body and not appreciating but it says this, appreciation, on the other hand, means you have an interest in all, all elements of the culture, not just specific aspects that look pretty, prove financially lucrative, or other benefits. If you do use any elements from that culture, you ask permission and give credit to the creator or source. You also seek to understand people of that culture as well as the culture itself more completely instead of contributing to stereotypes. And then it has a little sidebar here. It says, for white people, this involves doing some potentially uncomfortable work. Acknowledging all elements of a culture extends to recognizing how white supremacy and racism have played a part in dismantling and oppressing other cultures. All cultures have complexities and nuances, it says, that contribute to but go far beyond their art, clothing, and jewelry. Appropriating these items for your own use without taking time to recognize and explore their significance diminishes, demeans, and disrespects that culture and its people. You can't truly appreciate without this deeper awareness. And it goes on. It gives a list of, like, here's what is appropriate. Here's what is not appropriate. You know, sports teams with offensive and inappropriate names is not appropriate. That's appropriation. Not appropriation, naming teams after animals, plants, or non-cultural concepts. That's coming, though. Oh, it's definitely coming. And they go through this whole list of things that is appropriate and not appropriate. And again, who defines this? I mean, do we just say whoever wrote this article, their definition is objective when it comes to what is appropriate and what is not appropriate? Are they an expert? This is kind of a side note, but if I ever become a multi-billionaire, and I am a Cowboys fan, so it sounds doesn't doesn't even make sense, but I'm going to buy the Commanders, and I'm going to change their name to the Washington Rednecks. <laughs> I think it's safe. They would have instant fan base. I'd, I'd basically like NASCAR fan years. base would. Move right over. And, I mean, you could put a track around the field and do NASCAR and football at the same time. Combo. I'm telling you there's money there. Here's one of the ones. Sorry for that. Here's, Here's what is appropriation, according to whoever writes this article. Getting tattoos or wearing accessories featuring religious symbols when you don't practice that religion. No one's done that. We're safe. How many people (laughs) have tattooed a cross on their body with a skull on it? With a skull or whatever that don't practice that religion, Tim. I know. Are they all racist? Well, are they all appropriating the Christian religion? A lot of them probably are. It just really doesn't affect me a whole lot. I mean, I've never even. Never just, it's I just never entered my mind. Sometimes actually. I forget to be bothered by other people's choices. Or do you just choose not to be bothered? I just don't even ever get around to it, you know? It it seems like a lot of work. You got bigger fish to fry in life. I mean, I got to think about what I'm going to have for lunch. But it says not appropriating, researching a planned tattoo to make sure it doesn't have religious or cultural significance. How could you know? How could you possibly know what every symbol and everything, where it came from and the history behind it and whether it was used as a religious symbol or not? How much research would you have to do to get a tattoo? Hmm. Is it even I, possible? I only have one tattoo, and I I uh, did not, I will say, I put no thought into it whatsoever. I was like... Well, I saw this one thing this one time, and the guy's like, we can do it. <laughs> and uh, I haven't gotten around to getting it removed. 
but uh you know fast forward 16 years and you're just like well if if anybody's putting a whole lot of thought into their tattoos they i mean they're so, better men than me that's all i have to say this just boggles my mind because their their idea is well as long as you ask permission then it's okay right according to the, their definition so which is rich but do you think that you, you could ask? get a different answer depending on who you asked? There's a great possibility. Of so that. what is Do it? You go Just to the, find the person that's like, "Hey, I'll pay you five dollars if you say it's okay." I need it if I, need I it do in this. writing. I'm gonna need you to shoot me a text uh, that I can. And then here's the here's the other side of it. So let's say you do, and somebody, get, whoever it is, gives you permission to do that appropriation in a an approved manner. How is it going to be perceived? Well. Joel, Do you think everyone then is going to perceive that as being, oh, I know, he got permission? This is a money-making opportunity for Joel Olstein. Because if he want, if you'll send him $40, he will send you an approval letter and give you a blessing and add you to his prayer list. Mm-hmm. Immediately. If you'll make that a monthly donation, you'll be blessed beyond measure with your, with your cross tattoo approval. Here's, here's the last one on the list. This one is the best. Food bloggers creating recipes inspired by cuisines of other cultures without acknowledging the real work or significance of the traditional dish. (laughs) Appropriation. Solid appropriation, according to this author. You better talk to the colonel before you... Not appropriation, though, it says, learning about the cultural significance of key ingredients or preparation steps before modifying traditional recipes. So you need a... You know how people get a publicist? You need someone... It's going to take a full-time person. You're going to need a publicist... To do the research necessary to get your permissions for everything you do. I have this recipe, and I got personal permission from the grandson of the colonel to use these 11 herbs and spices. Mm -hmm. And I know where they came from. I know the history of these spices. Mm. I mean, it's just like I've been in a lot of different countries. I have, I love um, learning about other cultures. Cultural anthropology was my, one of my favorite classes in college because it was just intriguing to me. It was the curiosity that I had for learning about contrasting cultures around the world and had the opportunity to actually experience some of those things. I've been in India many, many times, and in fact, this is funny, they taught my wife how to make one of the authentic Indian curries. It's called butter chicken, which is fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Indian ladies showed her how to do that. And she makes that dish. Well, so I guess she has permission. That is appropriate. Yeah. Now, she didn't research the origin of those spices and Well, before she does that. a YouTube video about it, she definitely should spend at least 40 hours. On the, uh, the permission. Written consent. Part. Yeah. But it's just, it's Pretty getting really, it's getting really ridiculous. I mean, if we had to follow these rules, I would just be stressed beyond belief. I mean, it's, it, it really is the burden, the burden of just being the people who could write that article must be, it's more than I could, more than I could carry. So I can't believe they could do it. Like, I mean, with a straight face, like how, how can you take the authority to say, I am the authority on this and this is what you have to go by. And, and the other thing, like I mentioned, is the perception. Like, who can control how people will perceive a certain thing? Do we leave the interpretation up to the person who perceives it? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Even if you get permission, it is appropriate. Someone would perceive it to not be fault. appropriate. Yeah. And so do we go by that person's definition then, like the lowest den- denominator, like that person? You know, if there's one person out there that disagrees, Let's then, be honest. then it's 
that it, then it's not right. Then it's even if you got permission, if there's anybody who perceives that as now, I'm not saying you purposely go, you know, trying to offend people. I think that's crazy yeah. too. Like when I'm in other countries and in other cultures, I try to be sensitive to, you know, their cultural traditions and things that, that I can sense and that I try to ask questions about or whatever. I don't want to offend those people. I mean, I've eaten some horrible things in places around the world simply because I didn't want to offend the people who I was in their home visiting with. Right. But the, the extent that this has come to when it, when it comes to this type of event and, and trying to smear a child for culturally appropriating. And here's the other, the hypocrisy of this, okay? Because these same people who would probably jump right on the bandwagon and call this kid a racist and still are, like, just even though, you know, like, the facts have it's, come out. It's not looking good for and, them. And they're still doubling down on it. The, those same people would look you in the face and say, it's perfectly okay for a drag queen to dance in front of minors, in front of kids, in provocative ways, if that's not appropriation, what is? Did they get permission from my wife and other women to dress like that and do those things in front of kids? It gets really inconvenient when you try to flip a mirror on the ridiculousness. And, and, And honestly... You know, it's just, you just wish that they would just shut up. I know. It's so, like, it gets, it just gets wearisome seeing the foolishness. And it's, it's so just prevalent. You, you can't avoid it. Like, I really do try. And something pops up and I'm just like, this is, this is the most ridiculous thing I've seen this week. And by the time I get to that point, it's just like, how many lunatics are there out there that just cannot live and let live and just in just enjoy life there is so much more they're to running life. everything for everyone they're running everything i think though again people are fed up with it and oh, yeah. uh, and tired of it but i'm ready for it to be over yeah and i think the uh, i was i it's funny, something that missed our board today, and I hope I'm not um, creeping into next episode, but I read an article about you this week mm. that is so reminiscent of the ridiculousness. And uh, We'll get into that. Yeah, I was hoping hoping uh, maybe we could talk about that. I, have, you, have you seen the article? I have. Yeah, it was, uh, it was it's good stuff. It, it's it's just fl- goes right into what we're talking yeah. about with this faux outrage. This um, they have they think differently than me, so they're wrong, and I am the authority mm-hmm. on how they should think. And and then they go straight to trying to completely all, smear yeah, a person let's all as pile being a, on. a terrible individual. Yeah. And just just looking for, and I, I think with this guy, this uh, Karen, he. As you know, I don't think he saw, I don't think he saw into the future. I don't think this is going to end well for him or the company he works for. But he was looking, I mean, you don't write an article like that, not looking for other people to have your faux outrage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then the people from the other side who have a little bit of sanity start piling on and you're like, oh, crap, should have went ahead and not writ that one. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is that more people are sane. When you're sane and you know you're sane, you don't have to write ludicrous things. No. You're just trying to live. Let the boy enjoy the game. And that's that's what I'm saying. The I mean, players were. It is that simple. Even well, players of color. I mean, they're going to have to sue the players in order to get enough money to keep their, their little uh, dead, dead spin. spun no. rolling. So... For, is, I mean, that's it's going to be tough how many lawyers pile on by the time the yep. players are starting to get sued by Deadspun. Yeah. They're salivating. Mm. We should so, become lawyers. 
You know, we're, we, you're right. <laughs> I've thought this many I, times. I thought that about eight years ago, and I was like, it's too late. And I'm thinking, hey, if I had actually hopped on that eight years ago, good things could be happening. They're making bank for sure. It's a good place to take a, a, a little, little break. little siesta. Yeah. Oh, that's appropriation. Yep. Mom. <laughs> Did you ask permission? I, I have some close friends who I, I'll text during the intermission, make sure this is okay. Okay. We'll be right back. Where we will continue part two of today's show on next week's episode. Please go over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and take time to leave us a five-star review because that really helps us with getting the show in front of more people and also helps with sponsors of the show. And don't forget, you can connect with us on X, follow us at Man Cave Caucus. You can also follow us on Instagram as well or send us an email at mancavecaucus at gmail.com and hit us up with some suggestions for the show. With that, have a fantastic week and we'll catch you next Monday. God bless.